If you're uh, visiting with us, we have been going through, first of all, the life of Peter, and then we have gone through the letters of Peter. We have uh, been going through First Peter, um, and today we finish up that chapter, and then next week we enter Second Peter. And uh, I, I'm really excited about Second Peter as well. There's huge stuff there um, that often we don't talk about. But today, he's getting very intense with us. Um, let, me, let me start with a story. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book. There's a book out there called All's Quiet on the Western Front. It was written by a, a man named Eric uh, Maracu. Eric uh, was uh, a German um, who was living through World War One. The story is kind of a, his story turned into a novel, but it's the story of a group of, of, of German young men who World War II or World War I was starting to, to erupt and the propaganda and all of that was going around Germany. And Eric and his friends graduated and decided they were going to sign up. It was the, 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 all of the excitement and the passion about, about conquering and winning and all of those things just consumed them. So they went and they were recruited and they signed up and then they went to training camp. <laughs> they got to training camp and kind of idealistically thought it would be a whiz-through, but then they met Corporal Hemmenstrong, and Hemmenstrong was, uh, the corporal was, was an older guy. He had been in the military for almost 12 years. Before that, he had been a postman um, delivering letters, but he, he joined the army and was committed to preparing soldiers for the battle. Now, I don't know if you know much about World War I. It was awful. It was trench warfare. And, and literally, one would be in one trench and the other would be in the other trench fighting back and forth. It, it was horrendous. Now, these young boys had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They were gloriously idolizing what this would be like. The enemy would see them and just run. But that's not what happened. But the corporal knew. And so he started preparing them <laughs> from day one. Now, he was one of those perfectionists that you had to do it his way and in his time and all of those things perfectly. The, the story starts with him walking into the barracks and they're each to make their bed and clean up every morning. He went to each bed and he found fault with it and tore it apart and said, make it again. The, young man, the, one, the one young man who's kind of the hero in the story made his bed that morning 18 times until the corporal felt it was right. Um, then they were given these boots and this equipment and the boots were, were, were fresh out of the factory and they were hard, hard leather and they needed to be worked and made into soft so that they, they wouldn't wreck your feet because feet are critically important in the military and, and so he would make them soften and, and knead and knead and knead this hard leather until it was soft like butter. And their hands were tired, and I don't know if you've ever done that, fingers just aching. He would take them to the mess hall, and he'd give them each toothbrushes, and they had to clean the mess hall with toothbrushes. 
On, on days that it was really, really rainy, he would dress them up in full uniforms and march them out to a local farmer's field. And, and uh, the, it would be a field that had just been plowed and, and was soaking wet from the rain. And he'd have them marching through this soft soil with, with their gun. And then he'd tell them to lay on the ground and, and crawl through. the. And by the time he was finished with them, they were mud balls. Now they complained and complained and complained. Corporal didn't care. As you read throughout the book, they eventually went to battle. And they went into those terrible trenches that would last for days and months at a, at a time when it would be cold and wet and, and, and just awful conditions. And every one of those soldiers looked back at the corporal and thought, I am so glad that he prepared us. They would watch others who weren't prepared as strict literally go mad in these, ten, these trenches. And some commit suicide. Others jump out and run and be shot and killed by the enemy. But he had prepared them properly. As we get to First Peter, he has been preparing us. Uh, if you uh, have been walking with me through this journey, he has, he has be, he's been creating this, this teaching throughout that's very rich. He begins in this first chapter talking about uh, this incredible salvation that you have, have been given and I have been given, kept in heaven for us, secure. He, he, he has talks about how that, that, that he has prepared your minds for action. And that that Christ becomes our cornerstone upon which we have been built. And we are living stones. And he talks about us being a holy temple. He implies that we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. And he talks about those kind of things. And then he said, since you are from another place, you are citizens of heaven, how should you live here? And he talks about how we live among the government and, uh, and how we function in our workplace and how we function in our marriages and all of those kind of things. And then the last section, he talks about suffering is going to be part of our journey. Now, we're not sure of exactly the timing, but very soon after this, if not already, Rome has erupted for the first time Previous to that, only the Jewish people had 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 persecuted um, the, the the new Christian church. But suddenly, under Nero, an, an incredibly vicious persecution would erupt, um, especially around around Rome, but even into all of the areas that Rome had conquered. And Christians would be focused on, and Christians would die for their faith. And Peter is preparing them, saying, you are going to enter a battle unlike anything you've ever experienced before. This is how you prepare yourself. And in this last chapter, he talks about extremely, extremely practical terms of what you should expect and look forward to and how you should live. Now, it's interesting, as I've read through this chapter again and again, I, I, I just go through it again and again when I'm preparing. And, and as I've, I've been going through, it's been interesting to me to, to go through this passage because um, often you'll find verses in this, in this chapter. It's like, oh, I've heard those for years. 
but you don't see them in the context or the setting that Peter has for us today. So let's, let's walk it through as, as he starts to do it. Now, if you are like me, you, you need to understand something very, very critical. I'm going to divide you into one of two groups. And I, I'm not going to get you to put your hands up, but in your head, this is what I want you to choose. Are you an elder or are you a follower, part of the congregation or flock of Christ? Let me define the two. Peter will talk about elders he actually talks about elders in the plural as a team. And he includes himself as part of that group. He will use a word as he, as we, as he walks through as though those elders are shepherds. Now, the word pastor we use all the time in our, in our culture. But pastor only actually occurs once in the, in the New Testament. One verse in Ephesians. But, but 18 times the word shepherd is used. Paul, Peter also uses the word overseer that sometimes you'll see translated in some churches as bishop. All of those, however you want to package them together, are, are those who are mature believers. They're older in their faith. They have been walking with Christ for a long time. They have various experiences with the Lord as, as he has encountered them and walked with them through various events of their life. Some of them are very clearly aware of their gifting, and they are spiritual leaders. An elder is one entrusted for the overseeing of the congregation. Now, that's one group. Second group are those who um, are, are younger in their faith. Maybe they're brand new Christians. Maybe they've been Christians since they've grown up, but they're just getting into that walk with Christ and starting to know him more deeply and more richly. They have probably less experience, aren't as sure of their calling or gifting or anointing, uh, are still learning and growing in their faith. They, they often are referred to in Scripture as sheep or lambs. That's a critical word for Peter. Now, don't miss this fact. The elders oversee the congregation or the flock. Which are you? Do you consider yourself an elder? Now, some of you would say, well, I was voted in as an elder or a deacon or a pastor, and so that's who I am. But some of you are elders outside of that system. You're mature, you disciple. You mentor. There's others who you'll put yourself on the other side and say, okay, okay, I'm still growing. I'm, I'm maybe not ready for leadership or I, 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 would rather, I would rather work in this area of service or that area of service than be up front. That, that's fine. Choose a sign. Because Peter wants to talk to you both. First of all, he's, he's, he says, which are you? And then he starts by talking to the shepherds, the elders. And, and he, he looks at them. Now, let me, let me define elders a little bit just so that you, you have a, a sense. And this comes out of a leadership thing we did with the deacons many years ago. But I, I kind of came across it as I was preparing. Shepherd leadership takes place when a team of gifted, called out Christian leaders commit themselves to work together for the benefit of the local flock, caring, leading, protecting that flock of Christ has entrusted them with. So, so, so if you are a shepherd, 
you have been given a calling, a responsibility to shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ. I, I don't think there could be a higher calling. Uh, some of you know my journey, and uh, my journey began in, in, a, in a preacher's home, and I watched a father do exactly that. He shepherded a, clo- a, a, a flock after flock. We, we, we were in different places, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and I, I watched my father do that. And then there came a point when God called me to that, and I fought really hard against that. And yet, I, as I've stood back and as I've, as I've looked, I, I kind of stand in awe that you guys would even let me on stage, forget the fact that allow me to walk with you over these years. But there's, there's a calling. And, and this isn't a calling where you just have one person. It's a team that works together for the people of God, with the people of God, through the people of God. And, and, and so if you're a shepherd, he wants you to know that there's some instruction for you. If you, if you uh, look at, at the passage that Dick read to us, he actually gives us instructions on, on good reasons to be a, a, an elder and bad reasons to be an elder. Good reasons to be a, a, a pastor or a deacon or bad reasons to be a pastor or a deacon. And it's really interesting how he lays those things out. He starts with the negative. Let me give you a list of the negatives. He says, you shouldn't be leading out of a sense of duty. Well, because you must. Over the years, I've had people say to me, well, you know, I, I became this leader. Well, there was no one else. I couldn't find, they couldn't find anybody. So I guess I just should have. And that's actually not the right reason to lead God's people. Some people, and this doesn't happen in a Baptist church, do out of greed. If you've watched the Christian church in, in, in North America, there's some, it's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a money thing. It, 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 they've, they've got caught in this trap. And, and, and he says, don't, don't do it for wealth. Now, for some, it's beyond just a paycheck. It's about prestige or it's about recognition or it's about fame. There's, there's others who do it for power. They want to control they want to dominate. And, and Peter looks at them, and he is, he's been a wise follower of Jesus Christ for many, many years. And he looks at them and says, don't choose to be a leader of God's people for any of these reasons. So, so why would I want to be chosen? Well, he says, here's at least three reasons. You have been called There's a sense in you that God has spoken into your life and said very clearly, um, I I want you to serve me in this area or this capacity because you're willing to do as God wants you to do. Um, Some of you have heard this story, but I, I fought God really hard. And in fact, I, 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 I went to Bible school and I said, I'm only going for one year because I'm not going to be a minister. There's, there's no way. And so I went, and then he said, well, stay another year. So I, I stayed another year. And then, and then finally I graduated. But when I graduated, it was like, I am not being a pastor. And, and, and so I applied to a mission board. And it was like, well, I can do it over there, but I, I, don't, I don't want to do it. And, and, and as I fought, fought the Lord and wrestled with the Lord, finally he brought me to the place of saying, okay, I will serve you in whatever way, whatever calling you had. 
That's what a call is. Do you have a call in your life? Do you have a sense that God has been speaking to you and saying, I, I, I want you to prepare, I want you to study, I want, you to, I want to equip you so that you can minister to my people? I, I don't know if there's a greater privilege that you have been called to shepherd God's flock, not your flock, God's flock. The first thing Jesus talked about is that to do that, you have to be a servant. You have to be willing to serve. It's interesting, Jesus ended it before the cross by washing the feet of his disciples, saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to be the servant of them all. And then notice what Peter adds. He says, he says not only are, are you called to, to, to do these things and, 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 and expected to be a servant, you have to model or give example of how to live. How do, you, how, do you, how do you live as a Christian? How do you walk as a Christian? The example is critically important because people watch you. People are aware of who you are. Um, sometimes if you're a pastor in a big city, you can kind of disappear, but I'll tell you, there's no place I can disappear in this town. I, I can go swimming pool. They know I'm a pastor. I can go to this grocery store. I'm a pastor. And so people are watching spiritual leaders and saying, so how is he living or how is she living? And there's an expect, expectation or you, you are to model or be an example of how to live. So that's how you do it. Will, I will do that too. And so, and so Peter is, is looking at them and he's saying, I want you to lead the flock. And here's the job description. You need to be called. You need to have a servant heart. You need to live a life that's an example. And, 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 and as he's talking about this, he's saying, therefore, once you've received that, then you can start leading my people. Now, it, it's interesting. We could spend a whole study on saying the 23rd Psalm and look at, looking at, at how a shepherd leads his flock and how he is the healer and how he's the feeder and how he teaches them to rest and all of those kind of things, how he sets a table before them in the presence of their enemies and all of that. I was reading even this week about one of the places that sheep hate to go is into the dark valleys because it's scary for them. They're terrified of that. But a shepherd takes them down into those valleys because the mountaintop, all the grass is gone and it's, there's no water up there and he needs to take them down to that place. But for them to follow, they have to trust. So if you're a leader... I want you to revisit even this day that God has a calling on your life. That he has called you, first of all, to be his servant, not the leader of others, but his servant. And as you walk and as you live, you are to model how Jesus would live. Now that's the expectation. All the rest is secondary. The, the policies and the procedures and the decision making and the direction and the visioning and all of those things come second to who you are and your character. Well, why is this important? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Peter is very aware that it's going to be hard to be a leader in the last days. In the time when the enemy is seeking out. I, I, I was trying to make a list the other day of all the pastors in Canada in the last couple of years that have been arrested for saying, I, I, will, I will not do this because I am a Christian, because I am a pastor. 
How, how many churches have had, had, had their pastors fined for those kind of reasons? Whether you agree with it or not, they've stood up with integrity and said, I will do this because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I believe that we're going into dark days. As I, as I look at what's happening in our world and I look what's happening in our country, I, I, I start to imagine to myself, what is this going to be like in a year or two or three or five? They, they have made rules that seem to be directed toward Christians specifically of they can't do that or they can't do that. There's a, there's a bill happening in Ontario right now. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's a whole, about the whole area of adoption. And, 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 there, and the bill basically says if you don't believe in the identity politics, the LGBT and all of that, you can't, as a Christian, adopt children. What? And, and yet that's happening all over. Or, or as a pastor, I can go to jail for teaching Romans chapter 1. What? And, 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 and then you look at what's happening in our world and you look at, well, but there's going to be this food crisis and there's a potential of war and it just goes on. In fact, I don't know if you saw one of the headlines this week. It talked about how many, Christian, how many Canadians are struggling with even getting enough food on their table because of all of the bills. We have been moving into dark times. And as a leader, how do I lead through that time? What do I say in terms of obedience and what do I say in terms of righteousness? Some of you know when we had our business meeting last week that one of the things that's happening is, 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 is the liberal movement is, is coming into all of the denominations across the world about saying, well, we, we know that used to be an issue of morality, but you can't do that anymore. Really? Churches will be closed. Pastors will be arrested. If things move any further, are you willing to lead God's flock through that? Now, it's interesting because as you start to look at Peter, he says something rather fascinating. He says, if you are, if you're willing to do that, then there's going to be a reward for you at the end. Now, this is a whole study into itself, but five different crowns are listed by, by the various New Testament writers about what you can receive as a reward as a Christian. Now, now please don't mix them up with what I would call a diadem or a crown. Uh, a cr you know, crowns with gold and jewels and all of that, that's, that's the crown for Christ. The word Peter uses in this passage is, is, is kind of one that, that relates to wreaths. Do you, do you remember when the Greeks would run their races, at the end they would, they would get this wreath that would be placed on their head and it would be just, it would be golden leaves or, or green leaves even that would be just placed on their head as a reward. And, and, there, and there's different rewards being talked about. Uh, there's the crown of righteousness, and that crown of righteousness is for those who are soul winners. There, there's, a, there's a crown of, or sorry, a crown of rejoicing. The crown of righteousness is, is, uh, is for uh, those who are looking forward to his return. Did, did you just get that? If you are living in anticipation of Christ's return soon and very soon, there's going to be a reward for that. 
There's a, there's an incomparable, incompatible where, where he's saying you've run a good race. There's a crown of life, which, which for those who, um, oh, I'm not reading my own writing, those who live by faith. The, the interesting one Peter talks about here is a crown of glory. It will be given specifically to those who are leading for teaching the word. Did you get that? For teaching the word. And, and, and so Peter looks at this and says, he says, hold on. He says, I want you to know that you have been called and that there are awards for those who are faithful, but here is your flock. Are you leading them in the way Christ would have you lead them? Now he flips over and he turns to the followers, to the flock, to the shepherds. Interestingly, less young men, I, I want to suggest to you that young women are included in this package. But, but he starts to say, if you are one of those who are part of the flock, the congregation, what are you called to do versus the leadership? And, and he, he summarizes it in one word. In the same way, be submissive to those who are older or wiser or elders. And the question is, so what does that mean to be submissive? Well, three times Peter describes that submission by using a word called humility. Um, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Are you humble with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you treat each other with respect and, and love and, and reverence? Do you, do, you, do you recognize that they have strengths and weaknesses and, and, and you, you, you treat them compassionately? He says, he says give, uh, God gives grace to those who are humble. Otherwise, God watches and God is aware. He, he also talks in verse 6 about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So there, there's, there's, there's not only this sense of I need to be humble and God is aware of my humbling, but God will help me become humble as I walk and as I live. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever think of someone else next to you as your servant? Or, or, or do you think of them as, as I am called to serve them? God has given you an opportunity to minister to your brothers and sisters. That's what Peter's talking about. As you are, are mentored and led and directed by the shepherds that he's placed over you, you are to minister to one another. And one of the, one of the, the truths that, that in our church we talk a lot about is a, a concept called the priesthood of all believers. Peter's already talked about that. And, and the priesthood of all believers is, is the fact that you have been called to be a minister of Jesus Christ to whoever you are with. You are to be Jesus to them. You are to speak Jesus' truth into them. You, you are to show the love of Jesus with them. Are you doing that? And, and, and so Peter creates this package. He says, he says, these last days, things are going to get a little bit tough. I want you not to forget who you are as a people. That I have placed leaders, godly spiritual leaders into your life. And, 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 and that you are a flock, that you are, are called to be together and to travel together and to walk together and to be together. And, 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 and through that togetherness, you will discover the blessings of being the people of God. 
Now, it's really interesting what he does next. In fact, in fact, some people would almost correct Peter with this, but he doesn't. Peter looks at all of them and says, once you understand that you have spiritual leaders in your life and that you are a congregation, he says these words. Cast all your anxiety on him, talking about God, because he cares for you. Now, just I want you to put your hands up. How many have memorized that verse or, under, or knew that verse well? We've, we've heard it all our lives, right? And it's like Peter, Peter is saying, okay, you have spiritual leaders in your life and you are part of God's family or God's flock. So why does he say, cast all your worry, anxiety on God because he cares for you? It's because of the next verse that Peter talks about. Because once he has established who we are, leader, spiritual leaders, a congregation of God's people, he then brings up the fact that you are being watched by a prowling lion. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, this is very interesting. I got to tell you this. This is really important. No one knows lions better than Peter. No one knows that Satan, described as a lion, a vicious, hungry, ravenous, cruel lion, better than Peter. He he had been brought up with the teachings of Job. Do you remember way back in Job chapter 1? God is holding his court in heaven. And, 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 and Satan comes and, and he says, God says to him, so where have you been? Well, I've been, I've been going back and forth all over the world. I, I've been traveling here and there. I've been prowling. I've been looking. <laughs> and, and, and of all things, and I, I, can't, I laugh with the Lord. I, he said, have you seen my, my, my servant Job? It's like, oh, Lord, please don't put the spotlight on me. But Peter recognized that the enemy is like a prowling lion. In Mark chapter 8, you will find Peter, who, by the way, Peter and John Mark, we we believe, co-wrote the gospel of Mark. You'll find in Mark chapter 8 that he tells a story of, of how Jesus is predicting his death and resurrection. And Peter rebukes him. I don't know if you remember us studying that passage. Peter rebukes him. And Jesus turns on Peter right away and says, get thee behind me, Satan. And at that moment, Peter starts to realize that if you listen to the enemy whisper through into your ears, you can literally be saying the words of the enemy or doing the work of the enemy. That must have shook him right to his very core. That that literally, he had been used by Satan to rebuke Jesus himself. Later on in in Luke's gospel, we'll find that Jesus said, "I, I want you to know this, Peter. I've been praying for you. Because, listen to these words, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Ever sifted, seen sifting wheat? You, you, you have this thing with a, a, a mesh and you, and you put the wheat and, and, and all the junk stays on top and the wheat flies through. It says he, he, he's, he wants to come after you, Peter. 
And then Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fall and you, when once you have turned back, will strengthen your brothers. I wonder when Peter would think back to that at a time when he was in, in that courtyard and they said, aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, I don't know anything about him. Aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, I don't know. Aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, I am not. And he went away weeping and broken. Peter is writing you and I saying, I have experienced the attacks. I have listened to Satan whisper in my ear and I have repeated it. I have been used by Satan at times and, and, and I can't believe I fell for it. There are times that I've literally denied Christ. You have to be aware of this lion. He's extremely dangerous. I was thinking of this strangely as a Canadian. Now, some of you have heard stories of me talking about growing up and, 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 and uh, growing up in the mountains and we have black bears and grizzlies and all of that. But us Canadians aren't afraid of those animals like in Palestine they are of lions. Because lions are prowling through that land all the time. Go back to the story of Samson. Go back to other stories about, about lions. They were there, and they, a bear will see you and kind of walk away unless you've threatened them a bit, but he, he's not going to think about eating you. But a lion? Yeah, lion may. And Peter real, realizes the incredible danger that you and I are after because we have an enemy seeking to prowl, uh, and prowling after us, seeking to follow us. Job says this, Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth, going back and forth, back and forth. Doesn't that sound like a lion? Peter will later tell you and I these words. He says, because you know that your brothers throughout the world were undergo the same kind of suffering. He's saying, I, I want to tell you about this. I, I want you to recognize that you have spiritual leaders in your life that will strengthen you and guide you and walk with you and, and, and that you are a, a congregation, you are a flock, you are a community and that you need to travel together. But just recognize that throughout the world there's going to be times when your communities are under attack. Now there's a claim that Christians will make today and, and I've looked at all the numbers but I believe them. They have said that in the last 100 years more Christians have died for their faith than in all the generations before from the time of Christ till this last 100 years. Christians are under attack. Now I, I could take you to Germany. I could take you to Russia. I could take you to China. I could take you to Indonesia. I could take you to Pakistan. And, and all of, I, I could take you to these. I could take you to Ethiopia. Christians have stood for their faith, recognizing that the enemy is after them. So the question is, how do you protect yourself? How do you walk in a way that, that, that is victorious? Well, let me give you a, a few ideas. First of all, you are under a special protection if you place yourself under spiritual leaders. 
I believe that's a biblical principle that I could take throughout Old Testament and New Testament that if you put, if you allow spiritual leaders in, in your life, there's a protective quality that comes with them. I could take you through Moses. I could take you through David. I could take you through Jesus. Do you have a spiritual leader in your personal life? Uh, you may look at me and say, well, what does that mean? Someone you're accountable to? Someone that you listen to sincerely when they speak both blessing and criticism to you. You ever had someone confront you for, for how you were living or what you were doing? I believe you need spiritual leaders in your life. Secondly, I want to suggest to you that you cannot be alone. I, I was reading this week about lions, and one of the things that they talked about is lions' strategy is to separate one of, one of the, the, say, gazelle, one of the gazelles from the rest of the herd. The, the, the desire of Satan is to separate the Christian from the congregation to be all alone, to walk by themselves. And here's the danger. We live in a generation that for some reason people are leaving the church. Well, I, I, I haven't given up my faith. I, I still believe in Jesus. I, 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 and, and you hear of that, but they don't go to church and they don't worship together and they don't fellowship together and they don't, aren't accountable together and, and they, they don't gather together in community. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. You need to regularly come here. You need to regularly have, have individuals in life that you will pray with and gather with and be with. They will strengthen you. They will direct you. They will support you. They will stand with you. Then Peter says these words, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Otherwise, there's going to be times that you're going to be tempted to sin. And that's his entry point. If he can get sin into your life, then he has a foothold into your life, and then he breaks, gets more footholds and eventually conquers. So resist him. Are you being tempted? Are you standing against that temptation? For some of you, to resist that temptation, you need to have other believers around you. You need to tell them about it. You need to pray about it. You need to have them support you and guide you with it. There's other times that you need to stand and say, Lord Jesus, I need your strength. I, I, can't, I can't do this alone. And, 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 and we all fall into sin, but the question is, are we seeking to resist him? Stand firm in your faith. That word stand is really interesting because in Ephesians chapter 6, Peter, or Paul tells us about putting on the full armor of God. And, and he basically says to this, he says, dress in the full armor of God. And we can go through all of that if you ever want. It, it's, it's an amazing. He says, and then stand. Saying, I am committed to following Jesus Christ. I will not back down. I will not turn. I will not run. I am facing the enemy on and the enemy will turn and flee. Are you willing, as a believer, to walk with Jesus through these next days? Do you have a spiritual leader in your life? Spiritual leaders, are you mentoring the flock that you have been given and entrusted with? 
Are you gathering with the flock and staying with the flock or are you doing your own thing all by yourself? Have you put on the full armor of God and stood whenever the enemy is present? There's a, there's a story about a, a lady named Gladys. Uh, I'm going to say her name wrong. Allwood. Gladys uh, was, was uh, born in, in England about the time, early, early 1900s. Uh, she grew up in incredible poverty, incredible suffering. She had learning disabilities, so she had to quit school early. And to try to find a job, she ended up being a maid in a, in a house, which was lots of work and no, hardly any pay, and, and 24-7 kind of job. When Gladys turned 18, um, someone introduced her to Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She accepted him into life and she, she gave her whole heart to Jesus, 110%. As she started reading scripture and she started reading everything she could find and she came across some tracks of missions in China. It was the 1920s by that point. And the moment she read that, it was like, this is God's calling in my life. And she went to her church and got their blessing and everything and then went to the mission board and said, I want to be a missionary in China. And they looked at her and said, you, you don't have any education. You got no training. What can you do in China? And they turned her down. But God had put the calling on her life. And, and, and so, so Gladys started to save. Every penny she could get, she saved. She worked continually at her domestic job, but she just saved every penny she had and she studied the word of God and, and had this passionate evangelistic heart and wanted to tell those in China about Jesus. Now in those days, what you did is you would, you would get on a boat from England, go all the way around the horn, all the way up to China. She couldn't afford that. And so at the end of 10 years of saving, she got enough to get on a train across Europe into China. Most dangerous trip you could possibly make. There was a war going on with the Russians and all kinds of things were, were, were going on. And, and, and it, it, it was incredibly dangerous. And yet God was calling her to do it. She almost died on that trip, but that's another story. She, she literally packed three bags. One bag was, was, was a suitcase full of food. One bag was a suitcase full of her clothes. And one bag had all of pots and pans and everything that she'd need when she'd get there. She got to, to China and ran into a missionary, and a lady who had a, an orphanage with a few little kids in it, and said, I, I've been called to China. What am I supposed to do? And the lady says, I don't have a clue, but you can stay here and help me. Several years later, that lady died. And Gladys took over the orphanage. In fact, her evangelistic fervor was so passionate that literally it grew up to 100 kids. Now, those were the days when the Russian, the communists were, were spreading, that there was gangs and, and all of that, as well as Jap Japan trying to invade China. And it was a dangerous place to live. At one point, and you may have even heard of the movie, they made a movie about Gladys, about her taking a hundred of these orphans and getting them away out of, out of the clutches of the Japanese. 
She is now considered one of the greatest missionaries of the 20th century, Gladys. Why? Because she knew who her Lord was, she knew who her community was, the missions that she was with, and she knew what she had been called to do and be. Do you? Peter's saying in these next days, things are going to happen to you and I. It's not going to be easy as we walk and live in our spiritual journey, but he's called us to be that way. Now watch these last words he gives us. After you have suffered for a little while, the, call, the, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, listen to this, perfect you or also can be translated restore you, confirm you, give a confirmation in your heart, strengthen you, give you the strength to do far more than you expected and establish you. Peter ends with those words as a blessing to you and I. As we recognize that we have spiritual leaders in our life, as we recognize that we are part of God's community, as we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, he will walk with us, he will protect us, he will bring victory in your lives. This is God's word for you today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I I just ask that you would take this word and allow it to go deeper. Lord, as, as we have been looking at Peter, we've seen so many things he's taught us that are so wonderful. And he ends with these words. He says, I want you to know the reality of your world. I want you to know the power of, of, of your church and the leaders you have provided for us and, and the calling that you have for us as a people together. Lord, there's going to be times as we walk through the deep, dark valley, shadow of death, but we will fear no evil for thou art with us. Thy rod and thy staff protect us. May this word be truth and hope to each of our lives this day. I'd ask this in Jesus' name.